Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Chad Kelly becoming the CFL's highest paid player on a three-year extension with the Argos. Randy Ambrosi finally admitting how bad the league's stat system is. Ed Sheeran rocking a BC Lions jersey. A feature-length documentary being made about the polarizing Canadian running back, Andrew Harris. And we make our picks for Week 14, but first. Saskatchewan Rough Riders defensive lineman Pete Robertson has been suspended one game for headbutting Blue Bombers quarterback Zach Kolaris. The hit took place in the late stages of the Labor Day Classic after Robertson had knocked down a Kolaris pass, seemingly ending a Winnipeg drive. The headbutt initially went unpenalized, but the command center stepped in to assess a penalty for unnecessary roughness. Did the league get all of this right, Mr. Hodge? Well, Ben Major's crew, which I thought had actually done a very nice job of officiating that game up to that point, should be ashamed for missing this on the field. Yes, it took place very late. I'm sure that, you know, by this point of a typical play, teams are just headed back to their huddles and the officials maybe aren't paying super close attention to whether or not somebody is going to go up and smash a player in the face. But this is something that you can't miss, right? Every quarterback in the CFL needs to be protected. After all, they are the product. You know, yes, defensive players are important. Yes, kickers matter, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, people do not part ways with their hard-earned dollars to go out there and watch guys make tackles. They go out there and they pay their hard-earned money to watch guys throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns and make sensational plays with their arms and with their legs on offense. So that, to me, was the first takeaway, is shame on the officials for missing this. Thank goodness we have the command center that can step in. That's still a relatively new addition to the CFL. Thank goodness we have it. Second thing is shame on Pete Robertson. I mean, this was just a disgusting play. And he spoke to the media. We have the quotes on our site from Brennan McGuire, who was there in the locker room talking to Pete after the game. I didn't hear an apology. Uh, he, He admitted he shouldn't have done it. But this was not a play where a guy was rushing the passer and, you know, his helmet got a little bit too high, clipped the guy on the face mask. And it's like, okay, well, bang, bang, play full speed, you know, tough to No, this was he knocked down the ball, got Winnipeg off the field. And then a a beat or two later, a second or two later, it was like it's like he was celebrating with Kolaris and and he smashed him in the head. Which, also given the history of concussions, at least five on the record, we don't know how many Zach Kolaris has had, but five reported concussions since coming to the CFL, obviously we can't have that happening to a two-time MOP. So credit the CFL for getting the suspension right. It was a suspendable offense, in my opinion, and I'm very happy that the league decided to get this done as soon as possible. This game took place on Sunday, and the suspension came down early Sunday, uh, pardon me, early Monday afternoon which is when it had to happen there's no need stretching this out in the middle of the week get it done soon and to me that i like the response from the league itself but the officials need to be better and certainly pete robertson needs to be better you know er- earlier this season hodge you and i went back and forth about a play that could have maybe been roughing the passer and what's the definition and stuff you know none of that matters on this play and i the only thing i take issue with in your statement is you talking about 
protecting quarterbacks because I think that's utterly irrelevant in this particular situation. I would hope that we would step in just as harshly if this was a big beefy left tackle and somebody came in that late and delivered a headbutt to that left tackle. This is a player safety issue in general. It's a play that should be penalized if it happens anywhere on the field. Now, I can be forgiving to mistakes by officials on the field because it's an incredibly difficult job, right? There are things that are going to be missed. They should have called it. Frankly, I thought it should have been an ejection, but in the heat of the moment, you don't know what's going on. Sometimes things are missed. Kudos to the league for when they had the benefit of time to make this decision, making the correct one, and making it swiftly. They had to come down with that suspension immediately, and they did so. So the league, in the situation where they could control all the variables, made the correct decision here. And I don't necessarily think that Pete Robertson is a dirty player. This is not a guy like Garrett Marino last year who has a reputation of doing things to injure other players. I think he got lost in the heat of the moment, did something incredibly stupid, and quite frankly, from his reaction, I think he recognized it pretty quickly that he'd made a mistake and started walking away from the offensive linemen who were going to come and give him the business, right? He might be even breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief right now that he doesn't have to play next week because I think those offensive linemen probably have some more things they'd like to say to Pete Robertson after that play, and now they won't get a chance to. So I think the league got it right on all fronts, and I would hope that regardless of who the player was on the ground, whether it be a two-time MOP or anybody else, they would have this same reaction because it was the correct one. This was not a flop from Zach Kolaris. I've seen so many people from Rider Nation talking about this online, and I would like to challenge them to an example of this. Have somebody unknowingly come up to them and headbutt them with a helmet on or whatever else, maybe just their heads, and see if you don't end up on the ground, especially considering the force that we know these pro athletes can deliver. So it was not a flop. Cut this nonsense out, Rider Nation. Take off your green-colored glasses for once, for heaven's sakes, and realize how dangerous this play can be. And I think JC and Hodger bang on. The league did a great job acting swiftly, suspending Pete Robertson, but that crew has to do a better job. And admittedly, referees and officials have not been a big story this season, and that's a good thing. You do not want them becoming the center of attention because that usually means something's gone wrong or they've gotten in the way of a really good football game. So, Overall, I just really want, I understand people being fans, but I would like people to take a step back, take the jerseys off these guys for a second, or the colors, or even reverse the situation. If this was Willie Jefferson on Jake Dolagala, how much (laughs) would Ryder Nation be freaking out right now? They'd be trying to slap Willie Jefferson with assault charges. Like, the... And, and and I'll give Ryder Nation some, some benefit of the doubt here. This happened so late after the play. It kind of happened, not in a scrum per se, but with the way a players were standing around the situation, Robertson and Kolaris, 
like it wasn't super easy to see. And then, of course, they did not play this replay on the video screens at Mosaic Stadium. And this is a friendly reminder. And I guess I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here, because if you're listening to the Three Down Nation podcast, then obviously you already enjoy and partake in independent media. But this is just a friendly reminder that this is not a Saskatchewan thing. This is the case in all CFL cities and, frankly, all professional leagues. From the second you enter a stadium, the team hosting the game is trying to manipulate you, and they're going to do that until the second that you leave. They want you to stay. They want you to cheer louder. They want you to hate the opponents. They want you to buy a beer, buy a second beer, buy the jersey, get the souvenir cup, and then come back for the next game. Because we, without you, we will not win. We need your support right, for our team. And that obviously is amplified in Rider Nation, given the passion that those fans in Saskatchewan have for that team. And it's extra amplified on Labor Day, right? When we know that fans are going to show out, the stadium is sold out for the first time all year. And you've got the hated, you know, Winnipeg Blue Bombers who are in town, who have been to three straight Grey Cups winning two. They've won the last two Labor Day Classics, which historically they've not done. Winnipeg has traditionally got their butts whipped on Labor Day. So, That is also a reminder. I don't blame Ryder fans for booing the call initially because, again, they hadn't seen the replay. But if you watch that replay and days after the fact, you're still defending Robertson and trying to claim that Zach Kolaris is a European soccer player flopping on the ground, (laughs) then give your head a shake. I've gotten so many messages from people. Or my other favorite is people being like, but what about in 1998 when this player from Winnipeg did? This is not about past Labor Day Classic 17 years ago. This is about right now protecting the CFL's biggest stars who are, the, again, the reasons why fans are paying money to come to the games. And yes, JC, every player deserves protection. I should say that. But the players who deserve extra protection, if anybody does, it's the star quarterbacks. Those are the guys people are paying to come and see. If Pete Robertson retired tomorrow, would anybody cancel their season tickets? <laughs> I'm just asking. He's a good player. He's a good player. He's a good starter in this league. Does anybody outside of Saskatchewan know his name? I mean, they, they do now. But a week ago, the answer is no. Everybody knows who Zach Kolaris is. Our star quarterbacks need to be protected, whether it's Chad Kelly, whether it's Vernon Adams Jr., whether it's Zach Kolaris, or anybody else. The quarterbacks need to be protected. And Trey Ford. Be. There you go. Trey Ford. That brings us and to we'll our see- next segment, by the way. Because heaven forbid we go eight seconds without talking about Trey Ford (laughs) on this show. Trey Ford set a single game record for rushing yards by a Canadian quarterback, beating Russ Jackson's long-standing mark by one yard with 135 in the Elks Labor Day loss to Calgary. Does it seem like Ford is on a Nathan Rourke-like trajectory? Let's let's slow it down a little bit. Nathan Rourke-like trajectory? What, what does that mean? Because there's a couple ways you could interp- interpret this. Do, do you mean that he is on a trajectory to be a good starting quarterback in the CFL like Nathan Rourke was last season? I think we can safely say he has shown some promise to do that, albeit in a much different way than Nathan Rourke operated an offense. These are two profoundly different players. Is it meant in the way that he could go – to the NFL next season, like Nathan Rourke did last year. Well, I think that's a a fair point, right? Trey Ford got NFL workouts last season, even when he was riding the bench because of how explosive an athlete he is. Not a lot of quarterbacks out there 
run a 4-4-40. And there's going to be interest again, especially now that he's showing her off in a game situation like this week where he rushes for over 130 yards in a great performance, right? So Trey Ford could very legitimately sign an NFL contract like Nathan Rourke did. But is he Nathan Rourke? Is he a guy who is going to be a franchise-altering guy, a generational arm talent, somebody who I believe could threaten to start in the NFL eventually? That's not how I see Trey Ford. And that's no disrespect to Trey Ford, who I like an awful lot and I think has some truly special attributes. But Nathan Rourke is in another category entirely. I think really if Trey Ford was going to go to the NFL, his path looks more similar to a guy like Chris Strevler. He's a better passer than Chris Strevler was at this stage of his career, but both are athletic freaks. And that's what teams are looking for in these guys is the way they use their legs. It's not like Nathan Rourke, who was the complete package. If Trey Ford can continue to develop at the rate that he's shown on the field, I think he could get to that level. But Nathan Rourke, was a really, really good CFL quarterback. And if he came back to the CFL, he would become the league's highest paid player in a hot minute. But I do think Ford feels more like Rourke than going the other way in a comparison to Dustin Crum, right? He had those two great comebacks to kick off his rookie time as a starter in this league. And then Ottawa's now lost, what, five straight? And it doesn't seem like Crum has continued to develop or progress. And I mean, progression isn't necessarily a straight arrow up. There's going to be bumps and peaks and valleys, but we're not as excited about Crum as we are right now with Trey Ford. I don't think that really has anything to do with him being Canadian or not. I mean, for me, maybe a little bit admittedly, but I think he feels more like Rourke in the terms of his trajectory. They're much different players. JC alluded to it. Ford is an explosive athlete, and I think that's where the NFL is going to view him. You look at the team that brought him in for rookie minicamp, the Baltimore Ravens, and Ford is a guy that's along the lines of a Lamar Jackson. Ford was the fastest quarterback in his draft year, north or south of the border. Like He was faster than Desmond Ritter, who's now QB1 for the Atlanta Falcons, and was hailed as a guy who was dual threat. Obviously, Ritter played at a higher level at the University of Cincinnati, but still... Ford was the fastest dude in his draft year, and that hasn't been lost by NFL scouts. And JC, I don't like the way that you worded it. I don't think he necessarily rode the bench last year. It was partly due to injury in the games that he did play, created enough interest for two NFL teams to bring him in and work him out, the New England Patriots and the Las Vegas Raiders. And I think more are going to be lining up the more games he stacks like the Labor Day game, but he's got to show increased development as a passer to get a real legitimate look at being a potential backup in the NFL or at least competing for that role or even in that third quarterback spot in the NFL. I'll touch on Dustin Crum quickly. I think part of the reason Dustin Crum is struggling through the air is that Ottawa's receiving core is really bad. It's really bad. And I don't think that we talk about that enough. Um, that's not to say there aren't some good players, but their best receiver from a year ago, Jalen Acklin, has not been the same guy this year, and nobody else has stepped up. 
Trey Ford, at least, is working with a very good receiving core, right? We know what Geno Lewis can do as much as he's been inconsistent the last couple of weeks, but they've got Dylan Mitchell, right? And they've got Siva Dunbar Jr. out here making plays. They got Kyron Moore throwing for touchdowns, mm-hmm. right? I think Edmondson's receiving core has five times the talent of Ottawa's receiving core, at least right now, and Trey Ford is taking advantage. It did bother me a little bit that he threw for so few yards in this game, only 137 through the air, 135 along the ground. That being said, it was still a tremendously impressive performance from from Ford and his team at the end of the day put up 31 points. When you put up 31 points, you should win. I will also say I will happily eat some crow because I picked Calgary to win this game, which I mean, I suppose they did, but largely because I thought Brent Monson's defense was going to do a great job of stopping Trey Ford from getting out of the pocket. And then he ran for a quarterback record, Canadian quarterback record of 135 yards in the game. So obviously Calgary did not do a good job of that. But when you can keep the opposing QB throwing for uh, you know under 150 yards, you got to like that. To answer the question, though, about Nathan Rourke, no, Trey Ford is not as good of a pure passer as Nathan Rourke. I don't see that trajectory, but that doesn't mean that Trey Ford can't be a very good Canadian quarterback. He has surpassed my expectations so far this season. I did expect him to provide a spark for Edmonton's offense after Taylor Cornelius, a.k.a. the Corn Dog, got benched. However, I did not expect it to be this extent. Edmonton's offense has gone from an absolute snooze fest to appointment viewing for me, and I would imagine a lot of CFL fans, especially in Edmonton, but across the country, probably feel the same way. You can't not watch this guy. It's too exciting. Before we move on, the last thing I think that needs to be added to this conversation, when we bring up a comparison between Trey Ford and somebody like Dustin Crum, as Dunk did, is the benefit of a second year, right? And I don't think we've talked about this nearly enough this season with some of the rookie quarterbacks who have been under center. But rookie quarterbacks in the CFL very rarely find success or have continued success throughout the season. Do you guys know when the last quarterback to win most outstanding rookie was? 1982. 1982 Chris Isaac. That's insane. Okay. In most leagues, you have a you know a quarterback winner every second year, right? In the CFL, it almost never happens because it's extremely difficult to come in as a young player. When Nathan Rourke goes off, that's year two for him. We're seeing Trey Ford come in and have success. It's year two for him. I'm not going to make any big assessments about guys like Dustin Crum or Taylor Powell until I see what they look like next year because there are going to be some struggles this year. We know that. We can't determine what they are just quite yet. The Toronto Argonauts signed franchise quarterback Chad Kelly to a three-year contract extension, tying him to the Boatman through 2026. The deal is worth $1.865 million, making him the CFL's highest-paid player. Was this a smart move for Kelly and the Argos? It was the move for Kelly to make for sure because he locks in his CFL contract. And I think for the Argos to do this, they felt confident enough, even though Kelly has only now started, I believe it's 11 games after Labor Day, but before he started that game, it was 10 when he actually signed the contract. So it seemed early, but the Argos really liked that they had developed 
one of their own guys. Yes, he was on the Edmonton Elks negotiation list, but he was really only going to come up here to play for Toronto and that Kelly has shown so much upside with his team. He hasn't led them to a great cup yet, but made a couple big plays, including that 20-yard scramble on second and long to get that team to hoist that trophy in Regina last November. So I think the Argos love this dude and his leadership. The key here, though, guys, is a couple things. First of all, he won't become the CFL's highest-paid player until he actually suits up in 2024, making 615000 in hard money. And the key to this deal from the Argos' perspective, and potentially for Kelly, this is a major factor with the NFL, is a $250,000 signing bonus that he'll potentially collect when the calendar flips to 2024, but he cannot collect that if he goes down to the NFL. So there's definitely going to be interest in Kelly in terms of the NFL, but to what degree, I think we won't really know until this season plays out and if he wins a championship or not, and then see how the offseason goes. There's going to be some. And some people talk about his age and stuff, but I still think teams are going to at least reach out. So he's got to decide in terms of that NFL opportunity, do I want to go to the NFL probably needs to be for guaranteed money in his contract like Nathan Rourke got if he's going to go down there because he has this $250,000 signing bonus waiting for him in Toronto. So overall, I like the move for the Argonauts to secure this young piece who has been a leader and has this team atop the CFL through, what, 13 weeks now? That's correct. And let's get into the numbers a little bit, not in terms of the nitty gritty of the contract. Dunk, you've got all those up on the site already if fans want to look at those figures. But I saw so many questions from Argos fans or fans around the league, uh, some of whom are still salty about Toronto going over the salary cap recently. And so I want to touch on kind of how this this financial situation actually works. So you laid it out, Dunk. This contract does not start until 2024, so it has absolutely no bearing on Toronto's uh, salary cap situation for 2023. 2024, instead of Kelly making in the neighborhood of about $200,000 with bonuses, as he will in 2023, his payment is going to go up over $600,000. That means Toronto's going to have to find about four hundred grand elsewhere on their roster one player who we know will not be back with toronto because he's planning to retire is andrew harris he's currently making about 160 if you can replace him with a player who's at league minimum that's a savings of about eighty-five thousand dollars. and the argos are obviously going to have to pare down their roster and that was what my big takeaway was i think this is a great extension for toronto i think it's a great extension for kelly by the way shout out to the cfl and the cflpa for finally getting on the same page and agreeing to have guaranteed money available to players in future years of contracts, right? This was a huge, huge, huge problem that we talked about many times on this show, the league full of players who are all on one-year deals and all change teams every single off season, which benefits literally nobody. It doesn't help the players. It didn't help the teams. It certainly didn't help the fans who wanted to support these players and buy jerseys and, and have guys that they could look to as you know, five, six, eight, ten year starters on their teams. That problem is now finally solved. We saw Zach Kalar sign a three year contract extension last year. Now we've seen Chad Kelly sign a three year contract extension. I would assume we're going to see lots more of them before we get into next season. So thankfully, we finally are on the right track that way. But this is going to have a big impact in how the Toronto Argonauts 
configure their roster next year. We know Andrew Harris, they can save some money there, but it's not as simple as moving on from a couple of guys. I've also seen people say, well, they just don't bring bring back Enoch Buamba, or maybe they won't bring back Darius Bladick. That gets them to, you know, $250,000. Well, those guys are currently on the six-game injured list and have been all season. That means that their money has not applied to this year's salary cap because when a guy is on the six-game injured list, that money does not apply. The one-game injured list, it does apply. That's why you're allowed to put healthy players on the one-game injured list because it's not a competitive advantage from a salary cap standpoint. If you get a guy on the six-game, he actually has to be hurt because you are getting the benefit of the cap savings when a guy is there. So this deal, I love it for both sides. I love it for the league. I love it for the fans but it is going to impact Toronto's roster next year. They're going to have to move on from a number of high-paid guys this year or redo those deals to bring them back at significantly lower salary numbers. To be entirely frank, Hodge, I don't think there's a roster in the league that's better constructed to do that than the Toronto Argonauts. You've seen at multiple points this season at multiple positions where they've had guys who are legitimate starters, guys like Sean Oakman, Guys like Tavares McFadden sit out games as healthy scratches to get other guys in, guys who are paid much less than them. So I think they're in a position to move on from a number of guys with depth in behind them, and they can make up this money. This is a great move for them for a couple of reasons. First of all, the NFL element that Dunk has pointed out it's extremely difficult now for Chad Kelly to get a deal that makes financial sense with an NFL team but I think from the CFL side as well there's cost certainty now and you don't go to free agency with a quarterback as talented as Chad Kelly who has options to sign elsewhere yes you have to make him the highest pay in the league but you go above Kolaros by just a little bit there's no telling what some team might have paid on the open market. And if you let this stretch out into the negotiating period and things like that, well, all of a sudden, if there's a bidding war for Chad Kelly, how high is that price tag raise, right? That's a that's something that you now avoid if you're the Toronto Argonauts. You pay the big bucks up front to save a little bit in the long run and to stop him from going to the NFL. I think that is a fantastic move overall by Toronto. Ryan Dinwiddie told me that they've been working on this contract extension since week two and Kelly and his camp, his agent is Chris Lamburis, had his numbers and they were going to hold out until they got them. So in actuality, in 23, I just want to make a quick correction. He's probably going to net, sorry, I should say make over 300,000. I'm not a tax expert, so I'm not going to go about the net, but he's going to make <laughs> over 300,000 because they kind of guaranteed some of his playing time and gotcha. incentive bonuses. And I think the key here for me, especially if I'm Zach Calaris, I'm sitting there going, if Chad Kelly is worth 615000 and he gets above Calaris, who was at 600000 and Calaris is actually earning 600000 this season, then what am I worth, right? Calaris is sitting there going, well, maybe I should push this market back up to six fifty, seven hundred thousand that we saw with Bo Levi Mitchell and Michael Riley not all that long ago. And I totally agree with JC's points. If Kelly got to the open market, there would have at least been, as there kind of always seems to be a handful of teams that could have raised that bidding up. So smart move by Pinball Clemens, the Argonauts front office to get this done. And I think it's interesting that Kelly continued to play at this high level 
with these contract negotiations going on behind the scenes. I asked Kelly about it after the Labor Day Classic win, and he said he was getting updates. He wasn't obviously involved in it day to day. He left that to his agent, but he still continued to guide this team with that razor sharp focus that he had. Remember when Kelly was saying in the offseason, fellas, we had multiple pieces on it, that he wasn't happy with his contract? Well, I asked him if he's happy with it now, and he said, very much so. That said, he has not addressed the NFL question head on, but I think rightfully so from his standpoint, you got to see what your options are, right? You have to understand what's potentially even on the table or what could be presented before you could give a proper answer on that. And I mean, the Kolaris thing, fair enough. Zach also just turned 35. It's a little bit different when you're negotiating at 35 it is, versus 29. Didn't what he told me that he texted Kolaris and said that he's playing like Doug Flutie. In Dinwiddie's opinion, at least. Dinwiddie texted Kolaris? That's tampering. Somebody get Randy Ambrosi on the phone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, it's okay to be friends off the field, you know? Guys, guy, yeah. Get player, players text all the time. Um, even with coaches. Well, and also, pe- people do legitimately tamper all the time. That That's also a thing that happens. Um, I'm not suggesting this is tampering, by the way. I was a joke. But, at the you know, at the end of the day... I don't see Chad Kelly, just for the record, I don't see Chad Kelly as an NFL quarterback. He's turning 30, and his numbers and his production this year have not been as electric as Nathan Rourke's were last year. And as we've discussed at length on the show, Nathan Rourke's foray into the NFL has not gone terribly well. It's certainly not gone poorly, but it's not gone as well as it otherwise could have gone. And he's also, I think, left money on the table. He's making, He's going to make less money this year, even if he's on the PR all year in Jacksonville, than he would have had he stayed in Canada. Am I saying he made a mistake going down there? No, you got to try. And he can always, as we've mentioned here before, he can always come up to Canada and make a boatload of money later being a star in this country. But I don't see Chad Kelly as an NFL guy. I see him as a very good CFL guy. And again, we need stars in Toronto. We need recognizable big personalities who fans can right adore or hate either either of them is fine and if ty cats fans want to hate chad kelly argos fans want to love him i think that this is great this is a win for the cfl we need more franchise quarterbacks in this league and i'm glad that kelly is locked up in argo territory through 2026 the Hamilton Tiger Cats are three-point underdogs against the Ottawa Red Blacks on Friday night as the Tabbies will be playing on three days of rest after losing to Toronto on Labor Day. The Red Blacks have lost five straight games, but can Ottawa get it done at home against a tired Ticats team? This is a prime spot for Dustin Crum to bounce back and show us fools that we don't know what we're talking about at the quarterback position. So, yes, I think the Red Blacks have to absolutely be thinking that this is a game that they can get. Ticats on a short week, being beat up by the Argonauts at home in front of a sold-out and the biggest ever regular season crowd at Tim Horton's field. I like Ottawa to get it done at home and cover. The Red Blacks don't have a choice here. They're currently two points behind Hamilton in the East Division standings. They have to win this game. And by the way, they're 0-2 against Hamilton this season. They've already lost the season series. They have to win this game if they're going to make the postseason. By the way, after this game, this is Ottawa's schedule. BC, Saskatchewan, Montreal twice, 
Toronto twice. That is a tough road to hoe. This is a must win the table with this ridiculous short week for the Ticats, which, by the way, I think Hamilton fans are rightfully upset about. This has set the table. The Red Blacks have to get it done. If they don't, they may as well pack it in. Yeah, don't get it twisted. This is the most important game in the East Division to this point in the season. It's going to have major playoff ramifications. And the Ticats are playing with one arm tied behind their backs here. I think Ottawa has shown that they've struggled recently on offense, but Dustin Crum has beaten the Ticats before. I think he does it again. I'm taking the home team here. Ticats been declawed, one could say. The Toronto Argonauts are 10.5-point favorites at home against the Montreal Alouettes to kick off the CFL's triple header on Saturday. The Argos have a chance to clinch a playoff spot and all but wrap up the East Division with a win, while the Owls are 0-5 against the league's top three teams this season. Can Montreal cover or even win on the road? I have a hard time looking at this line and seeing a circumstance where the Alouettes can cover. I know it's a massive 10.5 points. I get that. And the Argos are coming down off a Labor Day high. But this team is just better than everyone else in the East. As plain and simple as that. And the Alouettes may be the number two team, but they're a, a solid tier below. I think Chad Kelly is motivated by the money that's now in his pocket. I think he's going to have another great performance and the Alouettes are going to go into another three game losing streak. Chad Kelly has usually bounced back from mediocre performances this season. And what I'm talking about is the two interceptions that he actually singled out that he threw in Hamilton at Tim Hortons field on Labor Day, but the Argos still got a big easy win. And I think Toronto is head and shoulders, maybe even up to their waist above everybody else in the East division. But the Alouettes know what's on the line here, so I think they come out with a scrappy effort. Montreal was close to covering against BC last week, so the Argos win at home, but it is somewhat of a potential letdown spot after a big rivalry game and a huge win for the Argos against their rivals down the QEW in Hamilton. So the double blue win, but the Alouettes cover. I like the Alouettes to cover here, and it's largely because of how disinterested, frankly, the Argos looked for a lot of Labor Day. They got out to a 17-0 lead, and then they looked like they went on autopilot for two quarters, just because they could. They're like, yeah, we got this. We, we, we know we're the better team, and it's not even close. And they scored, I think, on four consecutive drives to close things out. They put up 41 points. But to me, that shows maybe a little bit of complacency from a team that, as we know, is... I think the best in the league, right? We've got them at number one of our power rankings have for over a month at this point. Um, they're great, but they don't appear interested in killing teams. They appear interested in building leads and then coasting until they have to score again late in the game. So I like the Argos to win, but I like the Alouettes to cover. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are eight and a half point favorites over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Saturday when they host their Prairie Rivals in the annual, annual Banjo Bowl. The Riders won the Labor Day Classic in upset fashion in overtime. Though the Bombers are stinking mad about the headbutt Zach Calaris took from Riders defensive end Pete Robertson. Will Winnipeg exact some revenge? Winnipeg is going to exact revenge and then some. On Saturday, I picked the Riders not only to cover a touchdown spread last week, but to win the Labor Day Classic. 
I am just as confident in this pick this week. Winnipeg is going to win this game, and it's not going to be close. I think it could be 10 points. I think it could be 15 points. I think it could be 20 points or even more. If you're interested in alternate spreads, by the way, I think this would be a good week to take Winnipeg by even more than the eight and a half points they're favored by. Zach Kolaris is as angry as I've seen him in his time in Winnipeg, and the rest of the unit, I think, is feeling the same way. The Riders had an emotional victory. It was an earned victory. It was a great victory last week at home. They're going to get stomped this week. I'm taking the Bombers by a bundle. The home teams dominate this back-to-back series between the Riders and the Bombers, and it's going to be the same thing again, right? The Riders got a close victory last week. Nobody responds better to a off game than Winnipeg in the CFL right now. They're going to come out fired up. They're going to come out with a little something to prove and a little animosity because of that headbutt, and I think they are going to wipe the floor with Saskatchewan. Last year's game, the loss, Saskatchewan can claim, oh no, it didn't really count because uh, of that stomach bug that had them, quote, coming out of both ends in the locker room before games. <laughs> Just wanted to bring that bring one that. back up. <laughs> gotta bring it back up. I think the Raggers should probably call in sick ahead of this game again because they're not going to want to be on the field with what the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to do to them. Gross. Dude, I just barfed in my mouth. <laughs> I hope you're Zacharias is motivated. I would take his prop over. And as always, you can go to threedownnation.com, click on our odds page, and please bet that way to support the site. The Bombers are going to cover. I love what Hodge said about the alternate spread. All signs point to Winnipeg, who probably should have won last week in Mosaic Stadium, but they'll do it at home at IG Field. And do so responsibly if you bet with us, please. The Battle of Alberta rematch is slated for the late game on Saturday. Nine straight hours of football, boys. I hope you've got a nice butt crevice in your couch if you're planning to watch all of those games this weekend. As the Edmonton Elks are two-point home favorites over the Calgary Stampeders. That's right. The Edmonton Elks are favored at home. They're 1-22 in their last 23 home games, but they're getting points. Let's go, Edmonton. The Elks are proving all the time with Trey Ford. Can they win a second straight game at Commonwealth Stadium? I think they can, right? The Elks let last week's game slip away from them. But throughout it all, Trey Ford and that um, that offense were dominating. I thought they were the much better team throughout. And it was just simple defensive penalties at the end of the game that handed it to Calgary. I don't think they make the same mistakes that are a second straight week, even though they've made them before in the past. Chris Jones will be fired up and mad. He's going to come out for the second half of this rivalry rematch with a team that is more focused because now they know for the first time that they can win these games. They believe it. And I think there's going to be a rebound performance from the Elks. Chris Jones should be mad. His defense coughed up a 15-point lead or advantage let's say going into the fourth quarter on labor day and you go back and look at trey ford's record he's two and two right now as a starter this season and the other game was at home against winnipeg where the elks went up 22 nothing okay those are games that your defense has to close out if you consider yourself a defensive guru then you need to be able to get it done i like the elks in this spot for many reasons trey ford included 
But Jonesy, get your defense playing better, man, to close out some of these games. And you probably would have legitimately been in the playoff conversation. If they don't win this game, you can't even talk about Edmonton having slim chances of making the playoffs. I still struggle to say that Edmonton has any chance, given where they are right now at 2-10. and 10, But I do like their chances of winning this game. I think if the offense can do a little bit more to remain balanced, I think that would go a long way to helping the Elks. I did love how well they ran the ball. But as long as that defense, as you mentioned, Dunk, cannot take so many stupid penalties, I do think that the Edmonton Elks can win this game. I'll take them and I'll even eat the two points. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2012, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders traded the rights to Canadian offensive lineman Matt O'Donnell to Edmonton in exchange for receiver Greg Carr. Carr appeared in just eight games with the Riders, making 15 catches for 163 yards and one touchdown prior to his release in 2013. Meanwhile, O'Donnell played with Edmonton and developed into a perennial all-star blocker capable of playing guard or tackle, playing 130 career games over 10 years before retiring. Following the 2021 season, boys, there have been a lot of bad trades made in the CFL. This has to be one of the worst, no? Yeah, I usually think of these deals in terms of you're giving up a high-end Canadian who's pretty talented or has some upside for an American. It's probably not a good idea because the amount of American players, especially at receiver in this case, that can come up and develop and be stars quickly, there's so many of them. So I never understood why a deal like this would even happen. It's a pretty bad deal. Don't get me wrong, but Ricky Ray's on the phone, and he said, "I was once traded for Stephen Giles, <laughs> just like that on the record." Right? Actually, it, he wasn't on the phone. He sent it via fax machine because that's how Ricky Ray <laughs> likes to communicate these days. I look, and and don't get me wrong, the Ricky Ray trade is still worse. All I'm saying is, we always, even like twelve years later, talk constantly about the Ricky Ray trade. Nobody talks about this trade, which is really bad. And for the record, it actually went the other way. Eric Tillman was on the beneficiary side of this this terrible trade, and Bill uh, doesn't make up for it. Fair, though. I will say, I will say, I do. If I recall correctly, there was a contract dispute between the Riders and O'Donnell because he'd gone down to the NFL and got a look with the Cincinnati Bengals. So I think there was some context there, but it's still a really bad trade. He he also got a shot in the NBA, didn't he? Briefly coming out of the draft. Yeah, that's what happens. Six Eddie foot ten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll always remember Mag O'Donnell for the one play. What was it? Like an interception against Saskatchewan. And the guy's yep. coming down the sideline, and he just he takes him into another dimension. The poor soul. <laughs> I I wonder if he's all right these days because I do don't you, think he got up after that play. Do you remember who the player was? I do. I don't remember who it was. It was Diamond Ferry. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That has Great to be one ball. of the most viewed CFL plays ever, by the way. That video has, uh, I, I don't want to say millions because I haven't looked at it recently, but it's an unbelievable number of hits on YouTube. Matt O'Donnell, six foot ten, smashing Diamond Ferry at full speed. Thank goodness Diamond Ferry got up because a lot of guys wouldn't have. One of the hardest hits in all of football history, I think, Absolutely. just in terms of pure mass. Let's go to the three-minute drill, boys. Randy Ambrosi told the Piffles podcast that the league's ongoing stats woes are, quote, disappointing and frustrating, close quote. Is that level of honesty refreshing to hear from the commission? 
It is. It would have been nice if it had happened months ago when he was asked about these stats woes. But I appreciated the candor for Mr. Ambrosi and the honesty that CFL fans deserve. Canadian offensive lineman Carter O'Donnell was claimed off waivers by the Cardinals after spending three years on the practice roster and injured reserve in Indianapolis. Can he make an impact in Arizona? I think he can. I think this is a great opportunity for O'Donnell because there's a shot that he could see some playing time at some point this year, right? He's languished on the practice roster. He's languished on injured reserve. He was on the 53 for the Colts, and then all of a sudden he wasn't. The Cardinals are basically tanking right now. Like, they have a terrible roster. There's going to be an opportunity at some point for Carter O'Donnell to put some legitimate NFL regular season film on tape. He wasn't going to get that anywhere else. So I think it's a fantastic opportunity for him. He should seize it. Greg Ellingson made his much-anticipated debut with the Alouettes last week, though he caught only one pass for 10 yards in their loss to BC. At 34 years old, is Ellingson washed up? I don't think we can make a judgment on that yet. I want to see him play a few more games with Montreal and develop a potential rhythm with Cody Fajardo in-game, but that obviously was not an impressive start to his 2023 season. University of Manitoba Bisons gave up an 18-point halftime lead to the University of Saskatchewan Huskies on Friday night at IG Field. Also seen live on the Canada West Football Showcase on your, let's call it provincial carriers, but mainly Saskatel. Should the herd be concerned about the way their team lost that game? Normally I would say yes, but I mean, when you're hosting the number three ranked team in the country that's gone to two Vanier Cups in a row. I don't think he could be too concerned. I just think that the offense could have done a better job for the herd in the second half, putting scores together because they were lightning in the first half with Jackson Tachinsky showing off athleticism. I wasn't sure he had, but then all of a sudden Anton Abinrude for the Huskies started to connect on those deep shots he was missing early on. Ed Sheeran rocked a BC Lions jersey while playing a concert in Vancouver. How cool of a move was that for the pop sensation? Well, it was pretty cool to see, but it should be noted that Sheeran pretty routinely brings out jerseys for whatever team occupies the stadium he happens to be selling out that night. So he did the same thing in Seattle a few nights before. Though I always appreciate when a superstar comes into a Canadian city and actually acknowledges the importance of the CFL. It was a big night for Sheeran. He set a new attendance record at BC Place. Over 65,000 people in attendance to see him perform. It's a nice footnote to know that happened while he was wearing a BC Lions jersey for at least part of it. The Ticats brought back six foot nine offensive tackle Jordan Murray following a year long stint with the Colts. Is that a prudent move? Yes, indeed. I saw that guy live in person on the sidelines at Tim Hortons Field. He is a beast, and the Tiger Cats offensive line has been a sore spot for a while now, especially at tackle. They had signed Joel Figueroa to try to help boost that position, but he's been injured this season and probably when he's on the field, inconsistent at best. So I think Murray could be an upgrade for them, but it's been a revolving door at tackle for the Ticats. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers signed return specialist Ronnie Blackman to their practice roster following a stint with Montreal. Could he ignite their return game? 
Winnipeg's return game has been miserable since Janarian Grant went down almost two months ago. Jamal Parker is doing his best. Greg McRae has had flashes, but ultimately that unit needs huge help. They've really struggled to provide field position for Winnipeg's offense. Maybe Blackman gets a shot, though we'll have to wait and see when Grant returns. In true Mike O'Shea fashion, he has refused to give a even reasonable update on Grant's status <laughs> for the past seven weeks. The Toronto Argonauts signed Peter Nicastro to a lucrative three-year contract extension. Is that a good move for the young Canadian offensive lineman? I think it's a really good move for Nicastro, and he's super talented. But I have all sorts of questions about Toronto and how they've handled that offensive line because it seems like at some point they've paid everyone, right? They've got tremendous depth up front, especially with their Canadians. At some point, some piece is going to have to drop and they're going to let a very good player either hit the open market or trade him away to a team that desperately needs some help inside. A feature-length documentary about Andrew Harris is currently in production with a premiere date scheduled for 2024. Should CFL fans be looking forward to it? Most definitely. If you're a CFL fan and you want to keep up to date with this feature-length film, just Google Running Back Relentless. We had a piece about it on the site. I think this will be a very intriguing look behind the scenes of Andrew Harris's last season in the CFL this year with the Toronto Argonauts as he goes for, what is it now, a fourth straight Grey Cup, I think it is, That's personally. Correct. And also a peek into... His life that I think would give people a lot of perspective on Harris overall. So this will be appointment viewing for CFL fans. We thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll be back next Wednesday for another episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc